that breakdown. You can find it on Roku. Get jiggy with it. Hey, game dev people. Todd Mitchell here. Welcome back to Game Dev Breakdown. We are going to have a chill and relaxed show tonight. I promise no ranting and raving, no dramatic news, no fights, no anything. Don't have a guest, but it's just me and you, and I've got a couple of what I hope will be thought-provoking topics for you. So, I appreciate everybody hanging in while we took a week off last week. It was all business stuff, had to figure out some sponsor stuff. I had an audio hosting issue I had to resolve. Tax season is upon us. There is a lot going on right now. Uh, Some of you probably have noticed, and you're dealing with that stuff too. So, sorry about that. We were really consistent on a schedule for months and months, as you know. I really pride myself on having reliable consistent output on this show and I we're going to go right back to it. We've got uh, a schedule for the next month and I'm going to try not to deviate from it. So here I am, here you are, and we can kind of move forward together. What we're doing tonight, the first topic is, I think this is a podcast first, but I had a dream that I felt like it was worth talking about. And you may you may hear it and you might go, no, you were wrong. That was not worth talking about. But I think there's a lesson. And when when something stands out to me like this, I like to share and see if, you know, the people around me can benefit from it as well. Maybe it was just a reminder I needed to give myself. The brain is a fascinating thing, right? So I'm going to share this dream and maybe it'll be a nice reminder for you too. After that, I checked out a bundle of games. It was the Hasbro like board game family super fun night or whatever. It's on all the major consoles. I'm sure it's on PC also. Anyway, I I wanted to revisit a couple of old board games because I, I had a couple of friends who were playing some and I was like, yeah, that sounds good. But so I got this bundle from Hasbro and as I checked out some of these games... Some of the stuff they did with these old, very traditional, like, what, 100-year-old games were really pretty cool. Like, they made some really interesting updates to some of this stuff for consoles and, like, network play. And I thought, wow, like, not only is this compelling, but, like, the idea of what they did really stuck with me. And I thought we could have maybe a little tiny design breakdown because there were a couple of little lessons I thought... Some of these things are natural and make a lot of sense to do while you're designing a game or improving on a game, but like, I I almost feel like they're worth talking about too because we probably need all the reminders about that kind of thing that we can get, right? So these games had been modified, updated in ways that like, I just want to run through them and go, here's what was done. I don't have access to like the designers of these games. I don't know how how easy they'd be to track down. But I'm going to do the best I can to run through these, share with you like, hey, here's something I noticed. Here's something we can all take away. And hopefully, again, that there will be some nuggets of wisdom there uh, from people smarter and more experienced than myself that we can benefit from. So with that in mind, let's jump in. So about this dream, right? Most of my dreams are complete nonsense. You would not believe the nonsense that I dream about And half of it is about having to go to the bathroom because I really have to go to the bathroom. Do you have that? I have that more often than I would like to admit, but here I am admitting it. This was not a bathroom dream. This was a dream about very casual friends I had in high school. Two or three of them. Maybe a guy and a girl, 
two girls and a guy, something like that. Uh, mixed company, and we were like there were no romantic relationships. We we're just all like it might have been like a work setting, something like that. We're all doing a project somewhere. So we're in a place that I had to be for a while and we had some objective. We had a thing we had to do. And you know how in dreams, like time is weird. Like time does not go at the same pace that it does in the, in the real world. It's either super slow or surprisingly fast days right, right past you in, in like super speed. I was working on this project with these friends and it was a positive experience. Like we were all happy we were there and happy we were doing this thing, but we knew it was going to be over soon. Something we were doing while we had this project to work on. And I wish I could be more specific about these things, but things in, in dreams are very vague. We're working on this thing and our method of working involved a lot of weird rituals. So like we had a certain type of marker, like a certain color of pen we insisted that we use for everything and we did like we'd play a certain song at a certain time of day and we we just we kept building on these rules we had rule after rule they weren't written anywhere they were just things we all knew that everybody does every day and that was how we got through the day that was how we passed the time and entertained ourselves and that's what we did and we were all happy but i noticed like this project is almost suffering because of all these very intricate rules we've developed in these uh, these things we insist on doing a certain way every day. It was kind of funny. So as this project is winding down, we're starting to look ahead. Now I'm looking back going like, man, how much faster could we have finished this if we, if we had just done the following or if we had not done some of the things we did every single day at a certain time? Teacups on our heads and stuff. It was weird stuff. Before I knew it, the experience was over. We were all gone. And I was, I was kind of sad. Like I was sad, like, well, I guess we won't do that fun stuff anymore. And it was almost as if I expected, like, we'll always do this. We'll always play the silly song or do a funny dance at noon and use certain color pens. Maybe I'll do these things alone in the future, just, just to be funny or in tribute to this time with my friends. Okay. So weird nonsense, right? And I woke up from it not much later than that. And I, I noticed I was kind of sad. Like I was kind of like, downbeat about this whole thing. And I thought, why on earth is that making me sad? Obviously, and you know, it's one of those things where you wake up from a dream and like a certain relationship or a certain like acquaintance seemed more important in the dream than they were. Like the minute you wake up, it's like, oh, pff, I don't know if I'll ever talk to that person again. Who cares? And I know they don't care. I don't care. But it was kind of like that. I was like, why do I care about this thing, about these people I barely knew? I realized very quickly there was a parallel to real life, but the project is like so many things we try to do in real life. We, you do this in high school. Like I, I think a funny example is everybody had stuff like this with friends in high school. And to me, maybe I had never thought about it in these terms, but you, you do these things and they're, they're a manner of bonding and they're like, a superficial form of bonding. You're, you're trying to force yourself to bond with somebody. And usually it's because you don't know if that relationship is going to last. I went to high school. I finished high school in 2003. We had the internet. We did not have social media. I mean, like people had email addresses, but you still had that sense of like, when I walk out of this high school for the last time, me and these friends are gone. Like it's pretty much done. 
maybe some will still be around town. Some are leaving for college. Some were going to, off with the military at that time. You know, we had a lot going on then. There were cell phones, like early cell phones, but even texting was not quite as ubiquitous as it is now. And so I finished high school with that sense of like, these people are going to be hard to get in touch with. I don't think high school students have that now. So high school was an example of that. Like you, you, form these bonds through anything you possibly can with your friends and you try to like force that to be this super sturdy thing because you, you really all it is is you just don't want to lose those friendships the the grim reality is there will be some friendships that you'll keep well into your you know adult years but like a lot of those relationships will draw to a close it's not that you won't go on to better things but they won't be the things that you necessarily planned it, you know, a lot of the dating relationships in your young life are the same way. I'm not telling you anything you don't know here, but... So the point is, high school is the first time you see that, but, like, when you're in a creative pursuit, like, basically anybody who would bother listening to this, you're doing something creative. You've probably collaborated with people on things as well. I'm I'm a notorious soloist. So, like, my shipped game was completely alone. My... Jam projects are usually by myself. I've never contributed to like a large group game. That's not true. I freelanced on a few things. So I've, I've, you know, contributed to teams and I've worked professionally on teams also. But I've, I've done versions of this on like a contract podcast. This show used to have a co-host, as you guys know. He was a, a funny, very entertaining guy. So I've been part of projects like this before. We have my buddy Ray on from time to time, and uh, Ray and I have worked on numerous things together. We're very good friends. It just so happens none of those projects are still around right now. But I got to thinking, like, that's kind of what this dream was about, right? We do these things with our friends, or people who become our friends, and we start to hang quite a bit of pressure and a bit of a, a lot of weight on these things that we do with people. And if they fail, we look back at that as a huge failure. We look back at that as like, I can't believe that game didn't launch. That podcast isn't out anymore. Maybe you don't even hang out with the people who you worked with on them. And I thought, wouldn't it be better if I could train myself to look at stuff like that when things fall through like that? What if I was able to look at that like, But man, wasn't it so great that I spent that time with my friend? Like, what if we could learn to appreciate... I mean, it's work. It's always hard work. Anything worth doing is worth working hard on. But you're doing these things with your friends. And like, what if you could just love the experience, you know? And if, if I could look back at a podcast that we were all under contract, it didn't go well... We didn't get the support we needed from uh, our studio who contracted us. But like, what if I could love those nights me and my buddies got in a room, sat around a table and talked about silly stuff. And, and I do, especially when I think about it like that. Like, I really do appreciate that time. It's so much harder in game development because this is backbreaking, brain busting work that you guys, you know, you don't get paid what you should even a game that launches, a game that ships will not sell as much as it deserves. You'll get flack from people you don't deserve. Players will hate it for no good reason. You know, it's it's a, well, it's not a thankless job, but like it's kind of like a thankless job where you'll be severely underappreciated. And when a game project doesn't go through, 
If it falls apart, it gets canceled, you walk away from it. Almost nothing feels worse than that, right? Like, that's a terrible feeling. But if you're working on a team, especially if it's a project among friends, like, what if we could find a way to really appreciate that experience just for the time that you spent with those people? It's not just a useless thought exercise, I don't think. I think it will help me transition if I'm able to keep this lesson in my mind somewhere. I think it's going to help me try to make the most of the time I spend on stuff like that because I collaborate with people once in a while. And when I do, you know, appreciate the learning, appreciate the experience, the things, the little things people do for you during a project. Hey, let me take care of that for you. Let me show you something cool I know you know, it, it can help inform the things you do for other people, make the most of it. And if something fails, man, I'm guilty of this. I've been involved in a couple of things that when they fell apart, I held a grudge. I was hurt. I was humiliated. Like I, it's so frustrating when <laughs> it's a stupid requirement for me to have. It's a stupid expectation for me to go, we're going to do this thing among friends and we're not going to earn what we should, and we're not going to make what we should, but if we hit it big, and if everybody hits it with the exact same dedication, and does all the exact same amount of work, when is that going to happen? But for some reason, that's what we put in our heads on collaborative projects. We go, everybody's responsible for the exact same amount of calories burned, and the exact same number of minutes per week, and then it's for sure going to happen. Like, we put these impossible expectations on stuff. And of course things fall apart. Some things go through and they do very well. More often, you don't see the finish line or you see the finish line and not enough happens as a result. And the tendency is to blame people or blame events. And man, again, just what if we could figure out, hey, we, we learned a bunch. This was a great experience. We have something to show for it. We spent time with people. We made connections. What if we could just learn to appreciate that stuff, right? That's all. I mean, for me, as funny as that sounds, this was this was a real kind of personal revelation for me. Like I put way too much expectation on people around me, on results, and when I don't see those things, the relationships that have fallen apart in these situations have probably been my fault. I have I have to own that. And it's stupid that a random dream like this would have to be the thing that sort of got me thinking in a more healthy way about that. But boy, that's sure what happened here. So if it can benefit you in some way, great. (laughs) I'm glad I spent 15 minutes on it. Uh, If not, sorry, you're more healthy than I am. Congratulations. Moving on. Let's talk about our sponsor, App Figures. App Figures is all about giving game makers the tools they need to get more downloads and revenue. You may know them for analytics and app store optimization. Now, App Figures can help you track competitors from downloads and dollar amounts to audience demographics and even which SDKs they use. Their competitor intelligence gives great context. If a competitor adds a new feature or gets mentioned in the news, App Figures can tell you if that brought in more downloads. If you have an idea for a new app or a game, App Figures can tell you how big the market is and how much money it could make you. That is just scratching the surface. 
Whether you're growing your app or building a new one, App Figures has the tools you need to reduce risk and get more downloads. You don't need a huge budget or a data science degree. App Figures has made it affordable and simple, and they provide the tools that can guide you step-by-step step through gaining more visibility with ASO and increasing your revenue by learning from your competitors. Head to appfigures.com slash on slash gamedevbreakdown to try App Figures for free, and if you like it, use our special code GDB3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. In my notes, I call this topic designing better rules. I don't know if that'll be the episode title or not, but this is why I bring this up. So again, I don't really remember why I decided to buy the, uh, what is it? The Hasbro Family Fun Pack Super Edition. That is the most generic and weird random name. So Hasbro had a bunch of board games out. I got like Battleship, two versions of Risk, uh, traditional risk and risk urban assault uh there was a monopoly in there boggle which nobody plays anymore i couldn't even play a game online (laughs) but uh it was funny because they had three versions of this all with different numbers of games and they were all like the same price the other day uh so that that was a funny thing so I, i got the big one with all the games right so the two things i played on the same day when i downloaded this were battleship just because i was curious like how are you gonna make battleship compelling in this day and age on modern consoles like if it's just straight up like b7 nope you missed that's gonna be awful so (laughs) i wanted to try it and see and then risk because i love risk risk is one of my favorite games of all time it's imperfect we'll talk about that but for whatever i'll probably make the feature image one of my famous risk setups i'm famous for setting up all the players and all the pieces at the table, and it looks insane. It's just, I love Risk. I love the game. So we'll, we'll talk about that too. But the idea here, the, the theme is how these games were updated in smart ways, and like the thought process we could sort of take away from that to hopefully benefit us as designers in the future. So let's talk about Battleship. I don't want to spend a ton of time explaining Battleship if you don't I don't know how many people have never played Battleship. I don't think it's a big number because it's it's one of those games that's simple enough for kids to play. But each player has these grids and they, they're supposed to represent an area of the ocean. And each player has five ships in this area of the ocean. And the opposing player can't see the ships, but they're firing blindly into this grid trying to hit the ships, right? So you place your five ships on this grid. They're They're letter and number combinations like B7, A6, whatever. You take turns guessing a spot and the other player says hit or miss. And you continue until one of the players has all five of their ships knocked out. It's a cool idea, but we're going to talk about four problems here. The first one is it gets boring pretty fast. It's simple enough for a kid to play, but it's almost not complicated enough for an adult to play. You're just guessing spots until you're done. There's almost no benefit to having the different size ships. You could have just all like, you could put like 20 targets or something like there's a number of different ways you could do this and it would make no difference at all. That's problem number two. Three, no real strategy here. (laughs) It's, It's hard to go like, I am the best battleship player. And if you can't do that, there's almost no reason to play a game. Like, if there's not some expectation that, like, one person is like, I think I'm fantastic at this game, and someone else goes, there's no way. I challenge you. 
I've never heard any two adults challenge them, challenge one another to battleship. It just doesn't happen. A game without real strategy involved is not going to be a long-lasting game, right? Four, this game can drag on forever. It's a fairly big grid. There's room for all five of the ships. And I mean, you can guess at this for a long time. And once you start hitting ships, it goes a little faster. But if you have a stretch of bad luck and two players who can't manage to find each other on the board, that game can last way too long. So that's the reason this was the first thing I played when I picked up this bundle. I was like, what in the world is going to happen to make Battleship compelling on the Xbox or the PlayStation 4 or 5 or whatever, you know? So I got into the game and I immediately realized I'm in over my head because they've done a lot to this game and I don't know what's going on. I caught on quick and I was actually very impressed by the changes they've made. I've got to pause right here and mention, I don't know if like there are any modern versions of uh, like tabletop battleship that reflect these features I'm about to mention. I don't know if like modern battleship has some of this, but the Xbox version has this. So you've, you've still got your same five ships. They kept that, you know, that's on brand and they, they kept that traditional. Each of these ships has abilities which change what you can do on your turn, which is smart. On your turn, you get three, like, in the game, they're, they're the white pegs you would get when you miss. So you get, like, three searching points and three firing points. So think, like, white and red pegs. So you could actually do six things on your turn. You could, like, guess three spots to look at them, or you could fire blindly at three spots. Or if you guess one and it's and there's a ship there, then you could fire at that spot and you have a hit. Imagine getting three pegs of white and three pegs of red on each of your turn. You don't have to spend them all on your turn. You can save them for the next turn. And as you accumulate more of these, you can do more of these abilities that these ships have. So that's pretty cool. As these ships get blown up, their abilities go away and you have less options for things to do on your turn. I know that's a lot, but I want to break down... (laughs) But, like, let's look at it in terms of the solutions they came up with to those problems, and uh, we can sort of analyze from there. So, our problems we mentioned, cool idea. It's still a cool idea. This prevents it from being as boring as fast. So, the first issue was there was no real strategy. Okay, well, now we've separated, like, probes from shots. Each player gets three of each each turn. They can save some for future turns. They can be traded for abilities, or you can just fire blindly at your opponent. So you have a lot of options for a lot of different situations all of a sudden. So they came up with some pretty compelling solutions there. I'm an, I'm a fan of that. Number two, the different ships serve no purpose. Not anymore. Now they have those abilities, like fire five random spots, or search in a grid of like four by four. These different abilities are assigned to these different ships. Now, it is interesting that there are different ships, and once they're sunk, that ability goes away, and you've got less things you can do on each turn. That's So the, the ships now serve purposes, and they're good purposes. They're, they're good reasons to have the ships. The game is much shorter. That's, that's the next problem we solved. The games are actually pretty quick. Like, 10 good minutes, you've got an idea when you're going to wrap this thing up and who's going to win. It probably won't go much further than that. By the end of it, I had played like, I don't know, five, six games. And there's like a campaign with different scenarios on the uh, console version. And I was 
finding myself looking forward to like playing the next game. Like maybe there's a different objective or a different uh, scenario, a different opponent. I want to see what style they employ. It was very easy for me as an adult who appreciates good games. I played, you know, five, six, seven, eight games and I would go back and play it again. And I was interested in playing it online now. That's not something I could say for Battleship before that. So I had to give big props to Hasbro on updating Battleship in a way that was fun. And real quick, let's talk about how they did some of that also with Risk. I love Risk. I don't know why. It's not a perfect game. But I I picked it up a long, long time ago. I played it as a kid. I played it as a teenager. I have several versions of it now. Some of you have seen this. If you go to any bookstores especially... Bookstores are a great place to keep up with all the insane numbers of versions of Risk they have out there. They've got Halo Risk, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. I'm too close to being a Risk collector, and I don't want that to be my life because I never get to play it now. Other adults are not as interested. My kid's too young. They'll, I'll have a time again for Risk, but that time is not, is not yet come. So, despite my love for Risk... I, uh, it's, it's a very casual thing for me these days. If you're not familiar with Risk, the, the very quick version is you play it on a map of the world or a map of something because they have different versions of it now, but you're on a map that's divided up into areas on each turn. You, you, uh, have troops that you earn more troops according to what you've already done in the game, or everybody has a default number to start with. You decide where to put your troops who to do battle with around you. And the idea is you're trying to take over other areas and knock out players or conquer the world or achieve whatever objective. Uh, it's, it's varied in the newer versions and it's mostly about dominating the map. So you do battle, you fortify an area and you try to be strategic about it. It does not have the same problem about strategy. There are very good strategies you can use in risk. Uh, the problems are the map, gets old <laughs> like that's if you're playing traditional risk on the map of earth that gets very old uh the gameplay is extremely simple it's mostly down to dice rolls and deciding where your troops go and uh finally the game can get extremely off balance without ending so like a player can go way down because they lose a bunch of troops they're way behind but every turn they keep getting a few more and they're the dice rolls are are skewed in favor of the defending person so it's very hard to completely eliminate a player and even once you've eliminated one player you've still probably got two or three strong ones left games can drag on forever even for a game i like i don't want to do this in this manner for five hours no one's going to be happy with that so solutions in hasbro's newer risk first of all i have to give them credit because the newer versions of risk have like different objectives you can complete, which, I mean, that's cool. That makes for a fun experience. Sometimes there are conflicting objectives that players don't know about between them. That's a cool version I've seen. Uh, I think Star Wars Risk has that. So like one person's trying to dominate one section of the map and the other person is just trying to like own three specific spots or something. And you don't know what the person is trying to do. So you have to kind of watch everything very suspiciously. I think that's cool. The uh, Risk Urban Assault is kind of a nice blend of these things. What it is, is they're smaller maps. So like, think of like major city areas instead of countries or, you know, continents or whatever. And you've got like neighborhoods in a, in a city 
and you've got three warring factions. There are leaders with different abilities, which is cool. So like one person can knock out three units of any kind on the first move of their turn, or one can move their leader anywhere and they get an extra die to roll or, you know, two of their die are automatically sixes or stuff like that. So there are different class leaders, which I think is a very cool addition. And then there are like achievement style missions across all games. So you've got the problem of maps is solved because you've got tons of variation, even if they're in smaller uh, games that go a lot faster once you get going because you've got multiple conflicting objectives, which is cool. Each player can be trying to do something different, almost like you can almost think of it like civilization where there are like five or six ways to win. It's like that, but in competitive form, which is, well, civilization is competitive too. scratch that. But uh, leaders with special abilities that helps make the battles a lot more interesting, which is one of the problems of just the standard gameplay in the traditional risk games. And then the, like, missions across games, like you have achievements, basically, but you've got targets you want to hit across all your games in Risk Urban Assault. I think that made a good game even better, and I really like what they did there. So, this all got me thinking, and I'll try to wrap this up, but uh, we've all had ideas for games that were too simple, and we threw them out. Or... In my case, you've heard me talk about working on card games and stuff, because this kind of stuff interests me. I like simple, like, tabletop activities. It's just fun for me. We've all found simple things and gone, I could make a great game that does this. And then we even, you might even get through the prototype phase and go, nope, doesn't work. It's not complicated enough. It's not interesting enough. I'm here to tell you, I think too many projects have been thrown away for that reason. I can tell you for For sure, too many of these have been thrown out because I've thrown away too many of my own versions of this. I've I've found, like, one time I was interested in just getting, like, a card system built in Unity. And so I found a very old card game that was, like, really meant for kids. Kind of like the problem with Battleship. But it was just where you, like, almost like go fish, but you pass certain cards back and forth in a circle until one person has this correct set and then they're the winner. So I made that, and it actually worked well, and it was hard work to do it. And then I went, nah, I don't think, I don't think this is going to work. So what can we do in that situation? Because, I mean, that's basically what Hasbro had to deal with in this bundle, because they wanted to, like, get these modern console players involved, but those players were going to judge harshly if these games were too simple or boring. So when you're, when you're trying to iterate on your own, your own game rules, obviously the first thing is you've got to have a good knowledge of the other games that are similar to yours. Hopefully you're doing something creative and interesting, but you have to play a lot of similar games to understand what a player's expectations are. So like if, <laughs> if, you're, if you're doing a, a game and you, like you've never played Catan or you know, you've never played, never played Risk, That's going to be a, I don't know if it'll be a noticeable gap, but it's definitely going to be a gap. And you might miss some opportunities not to rip off something from another game, but to look at the way those designers came up with their solutions. I shouldn't be having to say anything groundbreaking here. You know that you need to know your game area, the games that are (laughs) in your genre, the, the games players could play instead, right? 
know the standard experience that's out there. The other side of that coin is you need to look at what inspiration is hiding in your game now. The example I'm going to give you here is the separate ships in Battleship. Like, they had a problem where it does not matter to anyone what these ships are, how big they are. If I sank the two-peg one, that's really no different from sinking the five-peg one. Now I got four ships to go. Doesn't make a difference. Now, they have special abilities tied to those ships. If you have something like that, what is the feature that you can tie to something that's already in your game that isn't interesting enough? If that makes sense. Look at the elements of your game and what needs more symbolism? What needs more importance? And that gives you a chance to flex your creativity, your writing, your imagination. Your game needs to be loaded with those elements, right? So look for ways you can bring something full circle or make something more worthwhile and you know more deserving of the player getting to know what this is. Battleship now has a reason to care whether you hit the battleship or not. That's great. Here's another one. What are your players saying? The risk map issue of like, you know, the the original risk map getting super old and super boring for a lot of players, that complaint is decades old. There is a Seinfeld episode, if you don't know, where two of the characters, uh, Kramer and Newman, take their risk game on the subway with them because they're, you know, both ridiculous. And so they're trying to play this game on the subway and the the funny haha moment is when they upset someone by saying like a certain country on the map is weak and someone nearby is from that country and he you know ruins their their game because he's mad which is uh funny you know funny coincidence but that like that illustrates how long this has been an issue in a game that's been popular forever so if you come up with something and show it to people people tend to show you the way you know, they'll they'll play a round or two and go like, well, it's cool, but I wish the following. Obviously, that's very important. So Hasbro listened to their players, and they're doing more with various maps, smaller maps to make faster games. You know, they're listening to the this takes too long complaint too. Conflicting objectives is another good way to end a game like real fast. Somebody like, oh, too late. I already have the right three uh, cities on lockdown. I win. They figured out a way to listen to their players and give them what they want without compromising what their game is. Here's another one. What Ask yourself, what can you pull in from outside your genre or your medium? The example here is the different class leaders in Risk. They're, you can almost think of that the same way complementary classes play in like class-based shooters. These person, like this person has a different ability. He's great for this objective. Uh, this person, she has... The following, and it works great in this scenario, and it can't be beat. You have to look at that and go, oh, okay, we could incorporate that into this board game where players are kind of doing the same thing. They have this objective they need to meet, and the right leader or the right abilities will put somebody over the top if they're smart enough to pick that and get themselves in the right scenario. Okay, great. Finally, you need to recognize that even flawed games like Risk or Battleship can find a loyal audience. So lower your... I'm not saying put out a boring game. Never put out a boring game. But lower the bar lower than the ceiling, if that makes sense. Don't put the bar so high that you can never achieve this perfection that you would like to see in your product. Uh, The people who made Risk put out a good but imperfect game. And so did the people who made Battleship. It's, It's worth putting out a 
decent game, being willing to listen to the players and letting that loyal following help point the way in the future. I'm not again, I'm not saying put out a bad game, but like think of how many play how many uh, designers I talked to doing the uh, virtual indie games expo coverage who were doing either a card game or a board game and many were doing open betas some had just full out released the game and were making changes to it like there are people out there doing that right like they come up with the idea they make it the best they possibly can then just get people playing it and maybe you know there's an expansion in the future maybe there's an updated rule book for later but imperfect games are still hugely popular when they're good ideas they're well executed things are going to have flaws nothing is perfectly balanced but i think we convince ourselves way too often that what i did here is not perfect so i have to throw it out and you go back and i'm not sure what you hope to achieve the next time because that's not going to be perfect either hopefully it'll be better I like to think that when I when I throw out one thing, the next thing I do is better because I learned something. But I'm guilty of this too. I throw away imperfect things that had loads of potential. And my entire point of doing this and walking through this was to hopefully encourage you and get you in the right thought process and the right frame of mind for finding the way those imperfect things can still be very, very good. And how they can get better over time as you continue to design, iterate, and try new rules, try new things. New elements breathe new life. And again, I was very impressed by what Hasbro did. Those games are available still in those bundles. They might still be on sale. I'm not sure. But uh, if you're going to look at those, do make sure you find the right one with the most games available for the same price. Don't uh, (laughs) don't just buy one for 15 bucks because I think... All three of those bundles are around 15 bucks. So anyway, hope it helps. Uh, if you enjoy the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, I would love to have you subscribe anywhere. I have show notes at CodeWritePlay.com waiting for your browsing enjoyment. Uh, I'm all over social media. The podcast is on social media at GameDevPod. CodeWritePlay, which is the website, is on Twitter also. And I am at Mechatodzilla with one D and two L's. Love hearing from you folks, and I do hear from you folks. I love talking to listeners of the show and other game developer folks on Twitter, so reach out anytime. Feel free to send show topics, feedback, questions, anything you want, and uh, if nothing else, we've, oh, we've got some news to talk about later in the week. Got a guest lined up for next week, and uh, that's it. Hope to hear from you soon. Work hard this week and make me proud. Look out for one another and I will catch you next time. Congratulations on your game dev breakdown, whatever that is. Sounds idiotic to me.